Hello and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. And we're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And this is the podcast that will help you to find some of the joy in parenting and ditch some of that awful guilt and worry. Absolutely. And help get rid of some of that anxiety and have much more fun. This week we're going to talk to you about your baby or toddler's journey to walking and this can be really contentious because you know as a parent you're there with your child if they're anything like mine that looks like a small fat version of Phil Mitchell and not actually moving while you've got other people's children who are literally ballet dancing around them so you get a bit stressed you know why is your baby taking longer to walk why aren't they standing yet why aren't they doing the same thing as their peers all of those things are perfectly normal or does your baby hate tummy time but the midwife keeps telling you how important it is that they do it so today we're going to explore lots of the thinking around how children become walkers and what we're going to talk you through is some of the developmental stages your baby will go through on their journey to walking so that you can see them and understand them and relax into the journey, knowing that your child is developing all those new skills that will lead them to those eventual steps that you'll be celebrating later. Yeah, I mean, I want to go back to my Phil Mitchell baby, who is now 24, because he <laughs> actually did walk at 11 months after showing no interest at all for a very long time. My middle son, he didn't walk until 16, 17 months, and we were very concerned after having a child that walked at 11 that we hadn't got a child that walked at 16 but now both adults in their 20s both can walk run skip jump hop so when you begin to walk for most children it doesn't affect how you're going to be physically when you become an adult both causing equal amounts of trouble no doubt <laughs> absolutely <laughs> as someone that owned a group of um, children's nurseries i have to say walking was one of the topics that parents really worried about for example i remember one child and she was a bum shuffler and she just shuffled around happy as anything had no intention of even attempting to walk and i think she was two and a bit before she finally got up on her feet and to much relief to her parents that she did but i remember her parents being really really worried and we were saying just bear with it because it is one of those skills that typically all children will master. Um, I know there are exceptions, but it is that one thing that shows to me how developmental milestones are a bit of a nonsense because the whole thing of walking, everybody has got different tales of, you know, the nine-month walker, the 18-month walker, the two-and-a-half-year-old walker, you know, eventually. Yeah, and even Jill, our gorgeous podcast producer, was telling us that her second daughter didn't walk until she was 26 months but then again, Joe didn't walk until she was nearly two. And there is some really interesting genetic links between when children walk, but we'll talk more about that later. Oh, I'm excited to hear about that. This is news to me. Yeah. And of course, while almost all children will walk at some point, there are exceptions. And if you are worried about your child's development at any point on their journey, the best thing to do is to speak to a healthcare professional and just get some good advice. I really think parents need to trust their own intuition on that. We yeah. talk about parental intuition a lot, yeah. and it's something that parents yeah. should follow through on. Alastair, you've piqued my interest on this genetics thing because this is news to me. So come on, explain. Well, there's a really recent study that said, and I was I was gobsmacked by the result, that 84% of children, roughly, walk at the <laughs> same time that their parents did or one of their parents did. Oh. So there is a really high correlation between when you were a walker and when your child is likely to walk. Right. And obviously that's not an exclusive thing, but it's very likely. So most children will begin to walk around the time that one of their parents did. So you need to find out when your partner walked, when you walked, and then that will give you a rough 
guide as to when your child is likely to walk. I don't know why that really fascinates me. I'd love to read the research behind that. So I think we'll find that and stick it in a link so that parents can have a read if they want to. Yeah, no problem. I think one of the things that parents really love about our My First Five Years app is that we really break down the journey yeah. so that parents understand the little skills that lead up to the big skills. And I think with walking, that's no exception. There's lots of things they need to master before they're going to miraculously walk and run around the room. So chat us through some of that. So yeah, it's not just about the ability to use your legs. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things you need to have in place in terms of your cognitive brain development and your physical development that enable you to become a walker. Uh -huh. So broadly, they're around your gross motor development. So gross motor being those big muscle groups, those big body movements. And of course, to be able to stand up on your legs and make your legs operate, you've got to have a really strong core. You've got to develop the muscles and the tendons in your legs and all the cartilage. And those things take time as, as children are developing. There's also sensory development. So being able to feel the world around you, feel the floor underneath your feet. There's things around pressure, things like proprioception. So knowing how your body or where your body is in any given space and how you move. And then Fine motor development, which we often think about in terms of uh, fingers, but also fine motor development is in terms of toes as well. Yes, so, I learned that recently. Yeah, how you move your toes, mm -hmm. how you place your toes. And we often will be familiar with the term hand-eye coordination, but also foot-eye coordination exists. And that's about how your brain balances and coordinates what your feet are doing as well as your hands. Because if you think about it, there are all sorts of parts to your body with all sorts of muscles. And it's quite a complex thing to manage and maneuver. So babies are learning to do that. And once they get more ownership over that and things start to fit together and bodies develop, that's when walking begins to happen. But often walking doesn't have anything to do with legs and feet. Walking really starts with their brain and their core. I think I'm still learning to walk. I'm one of the <laughs> most clumsy people I know and my body is full of bruises from things I walk into. So that's that whole proprioception piece, I yeah. think. Maybe it's slightly underdeveloped in my brain, I don't know, but I am so clumsy. Yeah, proprioception is fascinating. Of course, the proprioception is the thing that we lose and not making any implications here at all, but the thing that you lose when you've had a drink. Or, oh, so My bruises do not come from when I've had a drink. I'm just but, talking generally. Yes, for adults, when we've had a drink or two and you kind of lose that ability to coordinate, that's mm -hmm. kind of the early proprioception because... Basically, proprioception is about your eyes, your ears, your brain, the physicality of a space. It's about your brain being clever enough to have surveyed the space and makes assumptions about what's behind you, what's underneath you. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are quite complex and involve your eyes and your ears and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when, as an adult, you might have had one or two small white wines, then your brain struggles to do all of that processing because it can only focus on one or two things, which is where you're likely to lose your balance or not see something or trip over. So for little children, they are just developing those skills. And mm -hmm. again, the more gross motor practice they get, the more those skills will develop, which is why often, and we mentioned it in the introduction, things like tummy time are really heavily promoted and rightly so, but there are also a lot of children that don't enjoy tummy time. But luckily, there are lots of alternatives. I was going to say there must be other ways to, to develop these muscles. Yes. I think it's really important to say that no two babies go on necessarily the same journey 
to becoming a walker. Mm -hmm. There are different stages in walking development that children will miss out compared even to their siblings. Partly that's due to their physical development, partly it's due to genetics, and partly it's due to the environment that they inhabit. So there isn't one guide to how a child will become a walker and you can tip off the steps as you go along. It'll be different for different children. But I think there's a fairly typical path and there's some fairly typical things that children skip as well. I think crawling might be one of them. Yeah, so some children will absolutely crawl. Interestingly, some children will walk and then crawl. Yes, so, so, I've seen yeah, that. For children who miss out the crawling phase because of how their body is developing, they often will return to it once they can walk. And that's quite befuddling for some parents thinking, <laughs> I thought that bit came first. Yeah. And of course, there are a million different versions of crawling. There's commando crawling. There are children who crawl with one leg only. There are children <laughs> who go right flat on their stomach to crawl. The most common is the bum shuffler. Yep. So children who bum shuffle and you will get children who bum shuffle for long long periods of time and they don't ever some of them tip into crawling and then some of them do and then some of them will cruise and then some children cruising being where children are grabbing onto bits of furniture and holding on as they make their legs go and some just seem to go from bum shuffling to walking and it's just about their genetic makeup the experiences they've had within the environment and just where they are in terms of their development. So there's no one set thing that everybody should be doing. Take it back to babies, because I think what I find fascinating is how things layer on top of each other to eventually master a skill that a parent would recognise like walking. So what are some of the early things that babies will be doing to get their bodies and their minds ready? Well, you think about that little baby that you've got, and one of the earliest things they do is to do things that begin to lift their head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, you'll see it in in lots of the baby books and your your health professionals will talk to you about the fact that when you've got your baby, that they often will then begin to lift their head or turn their head. And that's Mm -hmm. a very early development of that gross motor core that they're going to need to help them to walk. Mm -hmm. And then we see babies do things, especially when they're lying on their backs, of kicking out their legs or pushing out their arms. And again, this is them and their brain exploring how their body works. And they start with those really big muscle groups because they're big muscles and they're easier to move. But also we know that for little babies, there are things like cartilage and tendons that haven't yet developed in their little bodies. And some of those you need to be able to walk. And that will begin the development process as they grow, which is why some children can't walk before a certain age, because the actual physicality of their body has not developed yet. Just not yet. ready yet, yeah. So you've given some examples there of early gross motor development. You mentioned sensory development earlier. Just explore that a bit with me. So apart from the kind of idea of proprioception of children using what they can see and hear in the world around them to help them know where they are, there's the idea that they need to get used to the feeling of touching things and pushing away from things. So knowing when you've got a safe and stable Mm -hmm. ground or surface underneath your feet. So you will see your children begin to do things like push their feet into your stomach when you hold them and push away with that. Partly that's about strengthening and using their legs, muscles and their glutes, but also it's about that sensory development. Mm -hmm. Or you'll find if you hang them over the floor, they might push their feet down and push into the floor. Or babies that are lying on their stomach will often, if you watch, see that they turn their feet up and use their toes and almost dig their toes into the floor in a way of projecting themselves forward. Now, they often haven't got the strength in their toes to move their bodies, but you Mm -hmm. can see them gently begin to move backwards and forwards. So all of this is not just physical development. It's also sensory development. 
you know, and then you'll get to the stage where they want to grab your fingers and you hold their weight while they make their legs move one in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And that's a real sign that they're moving towards all of those connections in the brain about I can feel the ground under my feet. I can use my muscles and tendons to lift my legs and move them forward. So they're beginning to show all of those early stages of walking. But the more physical development you can do with your child around gross motor, then the more they're going to get used to using those muscles and controlling them and the stronger those muscles are going to become. I know one of my children's favourite things was that swing that you used to attach to the door frame that would bounce up and down with the baby sort of pushing against the floor and the laughter that used to come from them using that. There was a lot of joy. And they're great, those baby bounces. And again, parents, you'll have seen... Online, or you may have read that, you know, there are lots of things like that that are really good for children when they're used under supervision and not for extended lengths of time. Yeah, yeah, like, this was like a yeah, treat and a good, you like know, bit of else. fun, yeah. They can be brilliant for enhancing that physical development. Yeah, she wasn't hung there all day. <laughs> <laughs> it was brought out as a bit yeah. of fun, but I just remember it as yeah. one of those things that really, you know, yeah. the giggles and the they laughter that young children yeah. do. It's just one of my favourite memories. Who would love to bounce up and down in a chair? I really think yeah. there should be a grown-up version Absolutely of that. I would definitely be. enjoy <laughs> after a stressful day going home and It'll just having a play. <laughs> I want to go back on tummy time if I can, because we have had a question come through about tummy time and the fact that this parent is really struggling to get their kiddie to engage with the idea of it and the the baby just doesn't seem to like it at all. And actually, that's quite a common thing that you hear. Yeah, and loads of children love tummy time, but there are a significant number that don't. And there are lots of things that you can do. So if you basically think that tummy time is about putting your child on their tummy and the idea is then you stimulate them at both ends, so head and feet, Uh really encourages them to lift up their chest, push up on their arms, bend their knees, push their feet against something. So in our app, we've got loads of ideas of things you can do in tummy time, as well as loads of ideas for children that don't like it. Mm -hmm. But if you're thinking about my child doesn't like being put down on their tummy, gets very bored very quickly, or gets some children get kind of fussy when you put them down because they just don't like the sensation. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to develop that core, then you can do things like hold your child so that their stomach is flat on your forearm. Right. And so then, again, it's just your forearm that's supporting their kind of midriff. Mm -hmm. And that will help them if their legs and arms are free. You can put them in slings in a slightly different way, in a similar way to that. You can carry them differently. You can hold them under their arms so their legs are free and allow them to either kick into the thin air or push their legs onto the ground. Mm -hmm. So what you're basically trying to do as a parent is just get them to move their arms and their legs, but also engage their core by lifting their legs by using their stomach. So there's always another way. Always another way. And really interesting, there was some research that talked about, well, linked to rolling. So lots of us worry about, is my child rolling and should my child be rolling yet? And different children, again, roll at different stages. No surprises. Yeah. Often parents will say, should I do something to encourage my child to roll? So when I see them start, should I just give them a helping hand and tip <laughs> them over? And the general rule around that is no. And what can be really hard as a parent is you see your child like nearly doing it, nearly doing it, and you're desperate for them to do it. And you just think, if I just give you a little push. But actually it's better to let them, I was going to use the word struggle and struggle is the wrong word, but the right word. It's better to let them have the effort, yeah. do the work yeah. because they will get the gains. Obviously, if your child is rolling, you can encourage them to roll by placing a familiar Bit of an incentive, or an object that they might want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I wouldn't use a like a bowl of chocolate or anything like that. <laughs> no, no, like a, <laughs> I meant a toy. Yeah, familiar toy, that kind of thing. You can use lots of verbal encouragement uh-huh. to get them to roll. They tend to rock. 
So you'll see them begin to rock on their stomachs. I'm actually doing this to Jenny across the table as a podcast. I just remember it so vividly as well. Yeah. It is one of those things that, you know, you'd go, yay, when yeah, you finally do it. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. But the bit of interesting research that I was my train of thought was that children who rolled into tummy time, and right. it was particularly looking at children who didn't enjoy tummy time. But if there was a bit of rolling first, and then as an adult, you rolled your child into tummy time. So this is not expecting them to roll themselves into it. Got you. This is about you putting them down onto whatever tummy time activity you're going to put them down onto, but roll them onto it. Their engagement was higher and their fussiness was less mm. in this particular study. So that mm -hmm. might be worth a try. Not Just worth a try. It doesn't work yeah. for everyone, does it? Nothing works for everybody. No. And if your child doesn't enjoy tummy time, don't worry. There are plenty of other things that you can do. Is there such a thing as a child that's just walking too soon? Is there any damage that can be done if, you know, because we all know that babies are born with very soft bones and, and cartilage that's not there. Is there is there anything wrong with walking too soon? No, I don't think there is a too soon. So again, the science tells us that babies can start walking anything from eight months. And in our group, when we had our first son there was a little girl who walked at nine months and it was really quite bizarre because she was like in baby grow little it does thing, look really unusual it, I agree. Walked, it was really strange but <laughs> basically your when you are born your bones are really flexible part of you know how you have to be to be born in the way that it, mammals are often born and they begin to harden but that hardening takes between birth and puberty so it's a long journey right but your bones need to be at a certain density to support your body weight mm -hmm. so if a child can support their body weight unaided yeah then they are ready to support their body weight so they can't really walk too early but also babies are born without cartilage in certain places and that has to develop and grow over time they're also born with tendons that are underused so we know that in their hands they lack cartilage in their knees some of their joints and that has to develop over time as well so if your child is demonstrating all the things we've talked about pushing against the floor standing up cruising and then able to support themselves unaided it's because their bones and body is ready to do that i presume though to be patient with this whole thing because yes. if you're encouraging a child to walk and they're just not ready everybody's going to get frustrated well they are and i think your child will tell you because <laughs> if you ever happen to go to the gym and you work out too hard and you're sore for two days later it's not a pleasant experience and so again for babies if you as a parent are over eager and i think what we need to remember is we've got unique children who are on a unique journey. And yes, as we said before, if we've got concerns, absolutely speak to a health professional. But particularly around the journey of walking, if you can give them lots of other really useful and enjoyable experiences, not only will it benefit their walking journey, but all the things we've talked about also have massive benefits for lots of other aspects of development. So you are immersing your child in lots of fun and developmentally appropriate experiences that will impact not only on their walking, but a range of other things. And so again, as parents, that should allow us to relax a little bit and think, you know, we're doing all that we can. And if they walk at nine months, that's great. If they don't walk until 22 months, that's okay as well. Absolutely. And I think what we've tried to do within the app is break that journey down so that parents yeah. can see all these little skills and go, yay, they've got that now. What's next? And it's the what's next all the way through that journey that can become really quite celebratory. And you can become patient then because you can see that progress has been made. Yeah. And we've got loads and loads of ideas in the app for things that you can do to develop your child's physical development, fine motor, gross motor, sensory, all linked to things that you're going to have to hand 
at home or stuff that you can do when you're out and about, which will also impact on this walking development. And the thing is, like we've talked about tummy time there and we've talked about how it impacts the journey to walking, but it also impacts the journey to writing and to so many other things. All these skills sort of yeah. interlink, don't they? Absolutely, which is the joy of child development. That yeah. so many things, the fascinating aspect is that so many things are linked to so many other things and the children will develop at their own pace. The other thing that I've heard parents talk about is blockers or perceived blockers to the child becoming a walker, just day-to-day -day things that parents are having to do, like, you know, have children in car seats for quite a while because they've got lots of errands and school runs and other things to do. So what potential blockers are there to developmentally delay this? I think if we are thinking about realistic parenting, which we do at my first five years, then what we've got to think about is balance. Mm -hmm. So... It, it makes perfect sense that if you are trying to get your child to develop their gross fine motor proprioception, then the more time that they are free and able to do that or engage in activities that are allowing their bodies to move, move and strengthen yeah. the muscles, yeah. then the better it's going to be. But obviously, you've got to travel with your children. You've got to feed your children. So there are times when they will be in high chairs. There are times when they will be in car seats. So it's about thinking the amount of time you can minimise that or the more you can minimise that, the better. So if you're having a, a meal or if you're trying to amuse your child, trying to do it out of the high chair rather than sit them in a high chair for very long periods of time allows them to use more of the physicality, the proprioception, all the things that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And also I get that when children are asleep in their car seat or you're transporting them in between places in their car seat or their pram, it's great, but if you can try and minimise the amount of time that they are just strapped into something like that where they're not using their bodies and their muscles, that's great. But again, it's got to be realistic. So I guess it's kind of using the things for the purpose they have. So a car seat is there to safely, you know, transport yeah. children in a car. But when you get to the other end, maybe if they're asleep, you're going to leave them for a little yes. bit longer. But if they're awake, bring yeah. them out, let yeah. them have that and free time. Yeah, yeah, let them move about. If you can. The more yeah. that you can do, the better. Yeah, got you. Another one there's a lot of talk about is baby walkers. Ah, What's yes. the current thinking around those? So the current thing about baby walkers, and I had a baby walker yeah, in so 1969, 1970. So, I mean, they've been around for a long time. You're giving your age yeah. away there, well, Alison Bryce yeah. Clark. Looking good in it. No, no, you were supposed to say that. <laughs> uh, I think baby walkers themselves have become way more sophisticated. I think... One of the issues is they become more sophisticated, but also you can now get the ones that have got big wide trays around them with lots of toys, lots of toys on the tray to interest the baby. So you've got beads and things you press that light up. Mm -hmm. So the temptation then is to stick your baby in a baby walker and leave them to interact with all the things that are around them. But when they're doing that, they are not then using all that physicality that we've talked about. Okay. So I think baby walkers are, we're not saying don't use them, but the advice is to put your baby into a baby walker for a short period of supervised time when they are using the walker to experience making the legs move, moving around a given space, but not to leave your baby sitting in a baby walker for a prolonged period of time, even if they're interacting with what's on the tray, it'd be much better to have them out of the walker on the floor and interacting with objects that are in front of them. They've got to reach, reach for, for or, yeah, using you know, all of the body. Yeah, yeah. That's much, much better than a baby walker. So moderation in all things. I think I've heard this in adult life as well. It's a bit well, dull. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> dull, but it works much better for children. Than but it it's very adults. true. Yes. <laughs> So as with all things, there must become a point where we do maybe need to just chat to a healthcare professional. 
And we talk about this a lot in my first five years because things like milestones and things like a lot of medical advice are based on average children. So, and your child is not likely to be an average. So there, there are children who come before the average and children who come after the average. So the health advice is that if your child is not crawling or bum shuffling by 12 months, or if they're not walking by 18 months, then seek some advice. It's not saying there's definitely something wrong. It's just saying chat to somebody. Is that the NHS or yeah, who's saying NHS that? NHS advice. Right, so okay. bearing in mind that all the stories we've recounted, there are our own personal experience and experience of children that we've worked with over many decades. And nearly all of them after 18 months, interestingly. <laughs> yeah. So there is it. there are outliers, yeah. but that's the recommendation if uh, your child isn't doing it by that age, then just chat to somebody. Yeah. So what we're not saying is that if they're not doing it by 18 months, there's definitely a problem because we all, everybody sat in this room here has got examples of our own children doing it after that. Yeah. It's just to have it on the radar. Yes. Before we wrap up the whole subject of walking, can we just talk about what children put on their feet, oh, i.e. Yes. the footwear? And <laughs> I think we we had so many examples in the nursery where, you know, a child will start cruising along the furniture, typically in their socks or their bare feet. And then the very next day, the children will be coming in in a chunky pair of like fashion designer trainers that were sort of heavy and clunky. And we'd look at them and think, no, this is not the right footwear <laughs> yeah. to help them to, you know, master the skill of walking. So what's science and research telling us about that right now? Well, really interestingly, I think, you and I, and probably everybody listened to this, their first pair of shoes would have been a really solid, heavy, Rigid, restricted, yeah, 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 because they were good for your feet and got you walking. And actually the research is saying the children's feet, as we've talked about in this podcast, need to be able to flex and grow. They need to be able to feel the ground underneath them. We need to be developing the tendons, the cartilage, the muscle, the toes, the fine motor development, all the things we've talked about. So therefore it's better to give your child something over their foot that allows the foot to move and flex. Now indoors, that might be nothing, or it might be socks with grips, or it might be booties, whatever it may be. But if your child is walking outdoors, the best thing is to try and get them into footwear that's got a flexible sole and a flexible top that allows their foot as much natural movement as possible. Alistair, let's share five favourite hacks to encourage our children to walk. Okay, number one, time and space to move. Obviously, as we've said, you need to have your baby in a chair sometimes, but give them as much time as you possibly can just to move about. Number two, gentle swinging, bouncing and rocking games. They're brilliant for developing balance and awareness of their body, which is of course needed for walking. Number three, different positions. So once they can roll, which will probably happen without you doing anything, holding them in different ways gives them a new perspective and helps them to develop strength and control in loads of different muscles. My number four would be resist the pressure to push them and rush them through this journey. And we all know it's nice to be able to say that your child has mastered walking at an early age, but at the end of the day, they will do it when they're ready and we should give them the time and space to develop all the skills necessary to walk in their own time. Number five is all about safety proofing because climbing, spinning, wobbling are all things that we want our children to do as part of their walking journey, but they can cause the occasional topple. So just make sure you keep an eye on your baby and make sure the spaces are safe. Thank you so much for listening and do get in touch if you've got any questions for us or if there's something you'd like us to talk about on this podcast. 
You can post questions on our Facebook community or on Instagram. You'll find us at My First Five Years with the number five written out. And if you want more tips around your child walking, you can download the My First Five Years app from the App Store. And you can also get this podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button in your Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just press follow. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.